Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So uh, I tweeted out that uh, deficits, which, folks, that's debt. Okay, that's debt. It's another name, but it's debt. So deficits, I tweeted, annually the last two years, each totaled more than what we would have accumulated in 10 years of pre-COVID deficit debt. The national debt, I tweeted, is in the stratosphere. Provincial debt is skyrocketing. And yet liberal cabinet ministers are touring Canada making funding announcements. So I put this all together and I came up. Can you imagine this? It didn't take me long to come up with this. Who's paying for this? Where's the money? Where's the money to pay for all the promises they're making, all the billions they're handing out? And how serious is Canada's total debt reality? By the way, the liberals are doing it now. The conservatives and the NDP, they will do the same thing. They'll promise all sorts of initiatives using money we don't have. So I got in touch with our good friend, Professor Eric Kam, professor of macroeconomics at Ryerson University, great favorite on this program. And I asked the professor to come on the show and talk about these issues. Professor Kam, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Well, I, I have a few bucks in my wallet. I don't know how long they're going to be there, but I have a few bucks left in my wallet. Try to keep them away from the feds. But look, at we, we have this word that we use time and time again, deficits. It's planned. It's just, you know, it's not really debt. It's just money we don't have and we're spending for you. That, I think, is what deficit has come to mean. But the reality is we have massive deficits. We have m- massive national debt. We have skyrocketing provincial debt, and yet we have cabinet ministers running around making fiscal promises. How much, how much sense does that make to you? It makes absolutely no sense. I mean, it all starts and ends with the party in power. Now, we can talk about Jagmeet Singh and his party, and I like that he came on your show. I give him credit for coming on your show and having the courage to do that. Other leaders who will remain nameless do not. Well, I'll uh, tell you. Well, hang on. I'll tell you. He said that he thinks that Mr. Trudeau is too intimidated to come on this program. That's what Mr. Singh said. Uh, I think that Mr. Trudeau doesn't want to answer uh, your questions. That's why he doesn't want to come on the show. Probably not. But let's not forget that one of the reasons that I like having Jagmeet Singh on your show is that it lets him be erudite and talk all about policies he's never going to really have to back up because there are no chance that his party is ever going to be in power. And he keeps backing those up with statements about how he would like to run the wealthy and the privileged and the corporations out of the country. I mean, could you imagine this coming from any other first world nation, a leader standing up and saying what we have to do is punish the successful people in an economy? It's ludicrous. And the NDP have been doing it since the dawn of time, which is why the NDP never get to be in power. And you know what? The Brits try, actually tried that. They, they raised the taxes dramatically on billionaires about 20 or so years ago. And what happened? The billionaires just left. The billionaires left. The billionaires have been leaving Canada. I I was talking about E.P. Taylor, who took his ball and his bag and his bat, and he went to the Bahamas because I don't like paying taxes here. You know, you made a statement that's that's really true. People talk about deficits and debts. And the problem is, is that they're in such such high numbers that it's hard to wrap your head around them. Now, not to disagree with you, because I hate to do that. I, I do it at my peril. But they are two different things. Let's just remember what they are. The deficit 
is when expenses exceed revenues in a given year. So it is as, it is as if you started on January 1st and ended on December the 31st and you looked at your bank account and there was a negative sign and you said, okay, how big is that negative sign? So for Canada right now, it's about 314 billion. We expect it to jump to about 354 billion. And then you say, okay, then what is the debt? Well, the debt is the sum total, the aggregate of all of those deficits. So add up all of those negative signs year after year after year. And that's how we get to a number in Canada of about 1.4 trillion. And let me just say, that's up from about 700 billion before the pandemic. So it's not just, you're correct, it's not just the scope, the massiveness of, the, of these numbers, but it's where were we before the pandemic? And the answer was we weren't so great then and we're taking these numbers and we are darn near double, tripling or quadrupling them. And that's the real fear factor. We've gone from not very good to darn near disastrous. Now, if I can just ramble for a second, People out there who support Mr. Singh and support sort of the left wing ideology are saying, who cares? We're never going to pay it back anyway. And I've, I've discussed this in terms of a credit card, because if you have a credit card, you know, the Green family has a credit card. Lord knows I have a credit card. There's a spending limit and we have to abide by it. But Canada as a country. We don't bank at CIBC or TD. We bank at the Bank of Canada. And so our credit card doesn't have a spending limit. So the reality is, is if you want to come down on the wrong side of the tracks, you say, what's the difference? We can borrow forever. But of course, that is ridiculous. That is not the way you run uh, an economy. For sure, it's not the way you run an economy in the civilized world. But you have a government that doesn't seem to care. There seems to be no plan. They say, well, economic growth is going to reach 5.8% next year. 5.8% based on what? I mean, I'm five foot five. Next year, I'd like to be six foot five. But you know what, Roy? I'm not going to be. And that's the problem is the numbers are so massive. The government knows people have a hard time wrapping their head around them and they don't really have to stand up for their claims because yeah. no one is going to remember well, it's them like anyway. it's like living in a fog. It's totally living in a fog and it's legalized gambling. The government was hoping that this huge amount of stimulus would not impact inflation or interest rates. And they were kind of gambling on that. Well, guess what, government? You failed not once, but twice. The Bank of Canada says the rates are going up. Listen to Tiff Macklem. He's a lot smarter than the prime minister. And he says the rates are going up in 2022. And CPI, the numbers that show our price levels, they're starting to slowly creep up now. That's and right. in some areas, not That's so right. slowly. Well, look, so at, this look there's, there's, something, there's something else here. And that is, I don't, I don't want to forget this because I want to include it in our conversation. Let's also remember that since 2015, when Mr. Trudeau was elected to lead the country, the energy sector in this country of ours, this nation of ours, has suffered because of his approach and his policies. The energy sector directed tremendous amount of money our way, tremendous amount of dollars our way to underwrite the social programs and our health care, which is a social program. And, and we, we have systematically, if not destroyed it, we've certainly limited its, its capacity. I spoke with the, with the former um, premier of New Brunswick, Frank McKenna, who was the vice chair, I think still is, for TD. And Mr. McKenna was talking about a survey the bank had done or a study the bank had done over a seven-year period. It's either 107 or $117 billion that we lost, Professor Cam, 
on interest alone the uh, the uh, the discount we sell our oil to to the United States. When you look at those figures, you consider the amount of money that the energy sector would bring into this country, could bring into this country, and then combine that with the fact that we buy about seven to eight hundred thousand barrels of foreign oil every day in Canada. A huge a huge component, a positive component of our economy was hammered and hurt by this federal government. And that's not the only sector. We can literally go sector by sector. I mean, the oil patch is just maybe the best example of complete and utter incompetence. But you look at a lot of sectors right now and you see the exact same thing. And I got to say one thing about Justin Trudeau. I give him credit. He learned from the best. His father was an absolute disaster, a cancer on the economy when he brought in stupidity like the six and five solution. And he has learned at the foot of his dad and he's driving out many industries. You bring up the most important example, maybe the most salient example, but don't worry, there are lots that are leading right behind them to say we've got to get out of here because we're being punished. All right, so tell me how much trouble are we in financially? When we look at the deficit, we look at the debt, all of the debt, the cumulative debt, when we look at the deficits that are being accrued, how much trouble are we in financially? Because the question is, who's going to pay for this? And my, my tweet simply said, they're not born yet. And that's the most simple response, I guess, or maybe simplistic response. Well, my and I tried to follow up your tweet by saying, what do you mean they're not born yet? Their grandchildren aren't even born yet. <laughs> so it just depends on whether you value today or whether you value the future, right? The government talks a lot about valuing the future, right? They talk about yeah, what we've got yeah, to do is yeah. ensure our future, but yeah. they have no plan for the future. If you just care about today, then you don't have to worry about the debt and the deficit because the answer is nobody's going to pay for it. But one day you have to service at least, as Mr. McKenna said, he's a bright man, you have to service the debt payment. And so servicing the debt payment is going to just keep climbing into the millions and the billions. And that's money that you do have to pay back because you owe it to the people who have bought your security. Here's, a, here's, so, an, here's another thought. If you yep. create a huge debt reality, which we have, which we own now, other countries have done uh, created massive debt as well during the pandemic. But we've we've specialized in creating debt over the last years. It, but if you create a, a society which is in massive debt, you're then limiting the progress of that society. You're limiting the ability of that society to move forward uh, intelligently, to move forward creatively. And, and then when you do that, you're actually harming the future generations. You want to plan for the future? Don't hurt today. Well, that's right. So the question is, those debt payments, those millions and billions of dollars that are going to go into repaying the debt, it's an opportunity cost question, Roy. What could we be doing with that money? We could put that money into drivers of growth, but we can't because we're going to be paying off this debt forever and ever. Cody sends uh, an email to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. Roy, it makes me sick that my three-month-old son is going to be paying this debt off. Cody, the truth of the matter is your son isn't going to be paying it off. His grandkids may be still paying the interest. Professor Eric Cam, professor of macroeconomics at Ryerson University, is with us. Let's take some calls for the professor and David in Winnipeg. I know Professor Cam's going to love this question. Ask it real quick, please. What's, what's the question in one sentence? Uh, well... Here, we hear that corporations don't pay their fair share. They make billions and billions of dollars. Is that true? And why not? Corporations absolutely pay their fair share. Not only do they pay more taxes than your average company, they also hire way more people than your average company. So if you want to drive out both the tax base and the labor demand base, just drive out the corporations. Well, wait a minute. The banks make billions and billions of dollars every quarter. It seems to me they can pay more. And I heard Major League Baseball doesn't even pay taxes. 
And there's a bunch of corporations in the states that don't pay any taxes. Uh, I think that's an over-exaggeration when you say don't pay any taxes. And I'm sure you could pay more taxes too, but you probably don't want to either. <laughs> that's it, eh? <laughs> that's, so, that's so true. Yeah. Would you like to pay more? No. No. It's like people, when people are asking about climate change, yeah, sure, I believe in, uh, in, in funding climate change, but so would you pay more taxes to do it? No. Ted's in Calgary. Ted, what's the question? Ted. Hello? Yes, sir. What's your question, Ted? Yes. When you have a government that's anti-energy industry like there is now, why is nobody coming up with a solution that says, let's build the most energy-efficient technology possible in a country that is rich in natural resources? Why is nobody advocating this? Well, I I don't know. Thanks for the call. I don't know if that's a question for you, Eric, but uh, if you want to take it on, go ahead. Well, first of all, I would just say I wouldn't I wouldn't say that nobody's asking. Roy Green asks it all the time, and I hear other commentators asking it. The reality is it's not a priority for this government, plain and simple. Yeah. Really, it, it's, it is that simple, and it is that plain. And we are importing seven to 800,000 barrels of foreign oil every single day, which, by the way, we pay, we pay more to buy that oil than we sell our oil to our only foreign customer to. Uh, that's the United States, because we sell our oil to them at a discount. Paul's in Calgary. Yeah, so I'm wondering if UBI is a practical solution to any of this. What's UBI? Universal basic income. Okay, so UBI. Okay, well, what, one, do, what do you argue, think of that, Eric? Sorry, what do you think of that? You know what? I think there is a, a universal basic income. Uh, I think it was brought in the day the government told everybody to stay home, shut business, and we are going to pay you serve. I think UBI is here. I fear that UBI is here to stay. I think it's a disincentive for people to work plain and simple. Is there an argument to be made that social programs at some point, in fact, become a UBI? Well, they are a UBI. I mean, that's what it is. Everybody comes out with these with these funky terms like UBI. UBI is just another word for social program, social safety net, call it whatever you want, and say, well, do we need one? Well, it doesn't matter if we need one. It's here. It's been here for years. So a question for you that I have is this. How do your students approach this idea of the massive debt and deficits this country and Canadians are carrying on their back? What do your students think about that? What do they say? My students want to know who is going to pay off the debt. And when I tell them, probably not you, then it goes out of their minds. I mean, unfortunately, students are myopic. They don't see many, many years in the future. They're 20 years old. I, I didn't see much of the future when I was 20. They just want to know, is do we have a solution for it? No. Then they move on to the next question. What interests you particularly? What do you look for? What are the indicators you look at uh, that interest Eric Cam when it comes to I the believe- economy and debt? Yeah, I well, yeah, I believe in price stability, and I and I believe in having uh, motors of growth being fueled. So I think you have to keep things like interest rates low. I think you have to keep exchange rates competitive. I think for me, it's all about for an economy, it's all about competitive balance. And but if you've asked me this before, what's the most important number I look at? I look at employment because if people aren't working and they're not earning a salary. It's irrelevant. If they don't have a salary, they don't have money, they can't spend, the economy is an engine that seizes up. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 